Everything F1. Driven by fans, for the fans. And it's lights out and away we go! is still on provisional pole. This time for Stefan and Hamilton have crashed out. It's McLaren and Ricardo that win the Italian Grand Prix. Max Verstappen, for the first time ever, is champion of the world. Hello, good afternoon and welcome to the Everything F1 podcast with me, James Tiller. Uh, and we've got a special guest with us today. We've got Alex Brundle coming to have a, an interview and a chat today. Hi, Alex. How are you? Hi, James. Uh, very good, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Um, it's, thank you for uh, coming. It's good, good to uh, good to be involved in your in your podcast. Yeah, no, thank you very much for coming on. We're absolutely privileged to, to have you with us. You know, we're very happy to have you here, uh, and we'll talk about uh, some of your career highlights uh, and a bit about your you know uh, your driving career uh, as we progress into the podcast. But first. We are Everything F1. You can find us on all social media platforms. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Uh, and of course, you can find us on our website, www.everythingf1.com. We'd also love you to head over to uh, Alex Brundle's own Facebook page and give him a like and a follow. Uh, and obviously, you can see what he's up to uh, via his own social social platforms. Uh, and that's uh, at Alex Brundle Racing. Is that correct? Yeah, I'm at Alex Brundle Racing on on Instagram and and on Facebook, and I I got my towel on at Alex Brundle early on uh, on Twitter because there are there are other Alex Brundles floating about the place, grabbing my social handles. How dare yeah, they? You're very lucky. You're very lucky to have a very simple one. That's uh, uh, that's for sure. Um, okay, so I'm 99% sure that all of our fans will know exactly who you are um, when it comes to, to obviously you and your your career. Um, but for the very small percentage of people that might not know, uh, could you kind of give us an outline of who you are, what you do and what you're what you have done uh, within motorsport? So I uh, am Alex Brundle, uh, son of Martin, for anybody who uh, is 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 looking at this and wondering. Um, <laughs> I uh, well, I do a couple of things. Firstly, I drive sports cars uh, for for a living. Uh, that's in the World Endurance Championship in a class called LMP2, mm-hmm. um, which is the the pro am prototype class. Of, of that championship uh, and I've raced sports cars all over the world for around 10 years now professionally. Um, the other side of my gig is uh, I am the commentator for Formula 2 and Formula 3 and then uh, over the past few years on a uh, on another broadcast platform called F1 TV which mm-hmm. is F1's own subscription service um, which goes out all over the world. Won't, you won't get it if you're in the UK, but you might get it if you're in America or yeah. in, a, in another place without a broadcast deal. And then race here and there, do things and come on podcasts. <laughs> well, uh, uh, yeah, we'd, we'd love to have you on as a regular um, because we do lots of race reviews and stuff like that. So it'd be great to get your insights in that uh, and on those sorts of things. Um, but first, let's talk about you. Uh, you're obviously born into the family Brundle. Um, it was uh, big boots to fill uh, having a father who was a, a Formula One driver and then this 
megastar uh, commentator that he's become over the last, you know, 30 years, 25, 30, I can't remember how long he's been in there now. Uh, it's a long time. What, what was it like growing up uh, at Brundle, uh, in the Brundle household? I think it, there have been phases of it, really. Um, over the time that kind of I've been used to, to my role and everything, I've learned a couple of things. Uh, one of them is not to compete with him because there's no point. Um, I'm in a very different world. Motorsport is a very different environment. Yeah. Um, another is to respect him for what he's achieved. And as I, uh, I grow into broadcasting and into racing more and more and more, what he's achieved comes into ever sharper relief, you know, in comparison to the, the, the world, which I see. And, mm-hmm. and I know that he, he, operated in motorsport in a potentially less crowded uh, i don't think it's any less competitive necessarily but it's less crowded world mm. um but that that is that's really been a journey for me to be honest um because uh perhaps the natural inclination of a younger man um or or a late teenage early 20s man is to try to sort of supersede uh, to try to move past, to try mm. to, but, you know, my dad's still active in everything he does. Uh, and, uh, you know, in, in broadcasting terms, certainly I, I just, I love to watch him. I love to learn from him. I love to, you know, be a part of things that he does. And, you know, I've really learned to, to, uh, use that to, uh, help me understand how best to move forward with with my career, which is great. But certainly, it's tough. You know, certainly it's tough. People um, are have a a default stance to sons of, and uh, and that can take some moving past, mm. um, it, especially from a media context and from a racing context too. Yeah, we had uh, James Hunt's son, uh, Freddie Hunt, on, and he said something very similar. It, it, it's it's great. I love Freddie. Uh, yeah, I love, I love Freddie. <laughs> he was a nice, he was a very nice bloke, really, really yeah. chatty actually. Um, but uh, he he said it's great for opening the doors, um, but then you're constantly judged uh, because of obviously you know you've got such a, a successful father or or, or whatever uh, within the same industry. I mean, uh, the the analogy that I always give is: imagine Tom Cruise knocked on your door, um, and open and you open the door and you think wow it's amazing it's tom cruise um great to meet you fantastic to spend some time with you and then the first things that came after his mouth is i need some money out of you actually james because my son <laughs> wants to go racing you i mean you'd still like talking to tom cruise but it would change the experience somewhat mm-hmm. uh and you know just because there are somebody you 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 know and, and you've heard of doesn't mean that you're just going to immediately do everything they ask you to do, you mm. know? And, and so, yes, the, the, the contacts are, are wildly available. Um, but contacts in, in many ways are, are of no use unless you can actually, you know, gain some, some value out of those people. And in order to gain some value out of those people, you need to be giving them something of value back because people don't just do things, you yeah. know? Um, and so <laughs> actually, uh, you operate in in a world of 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 quite considerable perceived advantage. There is advantage, certainly. I mean, I'm I'm extraordinarily blessed to have had the career path that I that I have, and extraordinarily uh, uh, privileged and lucky to be able to meet the people that I meet and do the things that I do. Um, and uh, it does take work, and uh, I, I keep on working to try and to try and do it, and and also live up to a bit of a legacy, really. Um, because it, I don't want 
the Brundle name to fall by the wayside in motorsport on, on my watch. <laughs> well, and it certainly is, isn't doing that. Um, you might be doing slightly different, a different path uh, and, and different motorsports, uh, but you're certainly, uh, uh, was it 2016, you won the uh, Le Mans series, uh, which we'll go into in a, in a, in a minute. I, I feel like I'm jumping ahead there. Um, so in terms of motorsport itself, did you always feel like, not a pressure, because that's, that's a horrible word to, to kind of put on, but did you feel like you were encouraged into um, becoming a driver uh, in, in motorsport? Like, you know, uh, dad's down the football at the weekend, but, you know, come on, son, you can be a footballer. Was it, was it a similar thing, but with, with motor racing for you? I think I was shown the road. Yeah, and, and and I was very much offered the road. Um, it was clear that everybody around me wanted that path for me but it doesn't mean i didn't want it for myself um and i and i was the one pushing to to getting carts and cars um i would say i i wanted to go racing Mm -hmm. i wanted to go racing from being a young man because i enjoyed the thrill of it i enjoyed uh that that concept and i and i looked forward to every race weekend um I learned love for racing when I hit the sports car environment. I don't think I really, I think it was a clear path for me and I wanted to do it because I wanted to be successful at something and it looked like a way to be successful. Um, But I really learned love for motorsport the first time I did Le Mans and, and that, and then I, I, I loved it from then on and I, I couldn't envisage doing anything else. Wow. And you, but you started, uh, like all racing drivers do very young, eight years old, you were in the carts. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. Karting cadets, Rotax, eight years old, jumped out of that pretty quickly because dad never did any, any karting. And we were lost, completely lost, um, in, in the world of karting. I could do, uh, uh finishing my schooling was priority one. That was a yeah. mother's decree. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, I was finishing that doing 12 race weekends a year when half of the course was 40. Um, so we were, we were lost. We didn't want to put, you know, a, a tremendous amount of money into racing with a team because there are, there are young men and women today, this year spending uh, six figures going, going go-kart racing. And it's just uh, absolutely incredible. So we didn't fancy that. And I I moved to cars relatively early on uh, with a lot of help um, from Jonathan Palmer, Palmer Sport Junior and and Motorsport Vision, uh, who made that kind of step really easy for me. Mm. Uh, And then, uh, so T-Cars was it after that? And then, and then obviously open wheel after that. Uh, yeah, T cars, a little Ford engine space frame <laughs> touring car. And then I did Formula Palmer Audi, which was a four cylinder turbo Audi engine, the uh, single seater. Good, good, good bit of fun, actually. It was good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, how competitive were you in, in those cars? Did you, did you, did you get a name for yourself? I did okay. In a T car, I did okay. I, I got podiums in my first year. Um, was it enough to, I mean, what I really missed at that stage was outstanding results. You know, I didn't have outstanding results. Um, I had enough results to warrant continuing. And I held a sponsor early on through through that phase, uh, a company called GAC Group, um, who helped me a lot to get into Formula Palmer Audi and then basically handled that for me. Um, I got a couple of podiums in Formula Palmer Audi. I think I ended up sixth or, or seventh in the championship again. 
good enough to warrant continuing, but not enough. To, so, you know, Helmut Marco is going to ring me up and be like, you're the guy we need in Red Bull in a few years. Mm. Um, I was a late developer in terms of my motorsport journey. Um, there are, there were some young people racing in my environment uh, and they were mostly boys and, and men at that stage. Um, um, barring Alice Powell and Vicky Piria were probably the only girls I, I raced through, through my junior single CT years, but mm. uh, Carmen Jorda as well. But, um, and there were some, you know, drivers who were already men uh, at 18, uh-huh. you know, and they had that confidence, that calm approach. I was still a child, very much still a child. And that's just the nature of how I, how I grew up and how my, my, my development schedule. And so as such, the, the maturity to really perform didn't come in the car until I was kind of in my early twenties, really. Right. Okay. Good. Cause you did, you did get to open wheel kind of uh, F2 and F3. Um, was it always, obviously, I know you said you, you, you didn't want to emulate your father, um, but was the, was F1 at this point, uh, at such an early part of your career, was F1 the target? Yes, I think it was. I think it was. Um, I, I wanted to do that. And because what all drivers know is if you, go towards F1 and nearly make it, then the other options aren't closed. Whereas if you go towards the other options, then F1 is closed. And so you charge for all the doors at once. That's, that's the aim. And um, you make your way towards Formula One because you know that, that you can shoot for the absolute pinnacle mm-hmm. and you'll fall into touring cars or sports cars or wherever. And so, yeah, that was, that was very much the aim early on. Okay. Well, obviously you did F2, then you went to F3 and then back to F2, uh, F2 again. Um, with probably some of the drivers that we're seeing today uh, on, on the grid, it, what, what's it kind of like seeing, seeing them kind of go off and be successful in, in Formula One? Who, who, was, who was one of the, your favourite people to compete against uh, that you can see in the, on the Formula One grid now? I mean, uh, Jean-Éric Verne uh, was, was a guy who was in my era. Valtteri Bottas had his first gp3 test i was at valtteri bottas's first gp3 test wow. danny kvyat tested um uh gp3 cars with me as well so you've uh, yeah uh, i've raced a fair few of them on the way through i'm just thinking i uh, thinking of some of the others on the on the current grid i remember meeting lando norris when i was when he was in a janetta junior and we shared wow. an engineer uh and his engineer was was engineering my sports car so bizarre to see people come come through and of course um well while i was in junior single seaters the guy delivering in a in a in a gp2 car as it was at that moment was lewis hamilton so mm-hmm. you know you're talking kind of 2017 uh, sorry uh, 2007 2008 uh kind of you know the the, the early the early years of uh, of lewis hamilton uh, wow. moving into formula one so um yeah it, it, it's it was an it was an interesting time it was a great time and um and also it always surprises me when i look at those lists of drivers not just who's made it mm-hmm. but at the same time all the great drivers who I've never heard of again. And that always blows my mind. You know, yeah. I look at, I look at those entry lists. And I think, wow, man, he was, he was great. He was really fast. You know, he was, uh, he could manage the tires. He was awesome. He was marketable. Whatever happened to that guy? 
you know, and then you go and check their, you go and check their Instagram feed and they're, you know, working for a finance company or they're, oh, wow. they're doing something else. But so it just always blows my mind how many amazing talents fall by the wayside as well uh, for whatever reason. And is it probably down to money uh, at the end of the day and, and, and having the backing? Because uh, you, you, you're very rarely going to see a, a massive talent like that disappear for any other reason, are you? Yeah, money, money, or, or some of them are more extreme characters, and then that doesn't doesn't help. But yeah, normally just pure pure finance, you know, in, inability to continue. But um, uh, what I've learned is there's, there's always a bigger fish, and there's always a smaller one. You know, in that regard, uh, there's always somebody who who's not going to be able to get as far uh, as one driver does. And there's always somebody that's going to be able to get to get further. And so mm-hmm. it's just uh, as while you're in the environment, you just sort of have to focus on your own journey and put that all out of your mind and, and, and go and try and do what you can do to try to uh, put yourself in the shop window. So going on to your career then uh, again, uh, in terms of, you came out of F2 for the last time and you found endurance racing. Um, was it, was it straight away from, from the open wheels to the endurance, uh, that you decided to, to shift? Yeah, I think I tested a British touring car. Actually, I tested a British touring car. I tested, um, Fabrizio Giovanardi's uh, triple eight Vectra, which was awesome. I, I went, I went, did some lap round snap, but mm-hmm. I, and then, there was an option to go and do that with, with Ian Harrison at triple eight. Um, and then there, there came an option with Nissan because they were looking to do two things. They were looking to a uh, do something with dad and they wanted to do a, a father son, the Mon effort um, and B they were looking to promote GT Academy, which is the gamer to race. It's actually that car, which is uh, on screen behind you. Uh, the Zytec. <laughs> Yeah, that, that bad boy. Yeah, there we go. Great, great car. Loads mm. of downforce, that thing. It was developed originally as an LMP1 car. Um, so, but, but to compete ex- pretty much exclusively at Silverstone. So the thing was locked to the floor. Anyway, um, <laughs> went, went and did Le Mans in that. Um, with your dad? And all, with my dad. That yeah, must have been yeah. a, a highlight in itself. It was amazing. It was amazing. I, I actually, now I look back at it, I, I was... At the same time, a couple of weeks afterwards, I was offered a seat as a Porsche junior driver. And it's actually an option I wish I had have taken. Maybe I'd have missed out on that experience with dad, but I think, you know, it's a, it's a sort of an alternative future, definitely. Um, <laughs> but that, that I mean, just be, as an experience, I know the Magnussons did it this year and I had a long chat with them about it. It's unbelievable uh unbelievable experience and i think it was a great experience for him as well um so that set me off on endurance racing i did this series around it and uh we got a couple of podiums i think we finished up third in the championship um and i got the opportunity then to move to a french team who were looking to develop um uh, a prototype race car and they were looking for a young driver to commit to you know some days of aero runs and stuff like that yeah set against uh the seat in, in the world endurance championship, which I got with, uh, with Morgan and, and Oak racing. Wow. Uh, and then that culminated in 2016 in your, in your Le Mans, uh, championship. Is that correct? Yeah. So I did, um, I did a couple of years. Uh, I, I ended up second in the world endurance championship in 2013. 
2014, I went and did IMSA, uh, but then the funding basically dried up for that. And um, I, I had to have a year out in 2015. Um, I only did one race in 2015, which was a, a very, very old car, uh, which was run by a Chinese team, actually DC Racing, who rang me up and said, do you want to come to Shanghai and drive a car? Anyway, it rained. We ended up being on the right tyre, so I ended up leading it for three hours oh, wow. uh, with this massively sort of underfunded outfit. It's, quite, it's, it's a story for another time, but it's quite an interesting story. <laughs> um, and that kind of got me back into it, and I signed uh, for United Autosports for the European Le Mans Series in 2016, and mm. that that was my championship winning year with them, their first prototype championship, their first prototype race win. And of course they've then gone on to be uh, extremely successful uh, across sort of the world of, of prototype racing, which is good to see. And, and in terms of the last couple of years, it, it, uh, you've been focusing obviously on broadcasting. Um, uh, what, what, let's keep, stick with the racing for the moment. What, what, what kind of racing are you, are you doing? Cause it, cause every so race continues, don't they, you know, doing something. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm still in the World Endurance Championship. I'm still in the World Endurance Championship driving for a team called Inter Europol Competition. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a sports car gig, you know, turn up, do a good job, uh, play your part for the team and, uh, and, and, and help your teammates out. I've done so much in terms of uh, uh, prototype racing now that in developing a car for a new team, I could be quite useful. Um, so I'm signed now for two years uh, for the full World Endurance Championship and uh, okay. looking for a gig in IMSA as well, potentially. Uh, yeah, so the, ra- the racing side is still going strong, and especially with um, a lot of manufacturer interest in um, in prototype racing now and in Le Mans, there's still an option there to continue in the future uh, with a lot of manufacturers coming in. I know your podcast is called Everything F1, but uh, uh, yeah. that's, that's nothing F1. Uh, <laughs> that's the, the, the wet landscape is looking very, very strong. Well, we say the F is for fast, so everything fast. Uh, yeah, we, we, okay. we like because because you have to dip your toes in all the other motorsports to kind of know what's going on in, in Formula yeah. One, don't you? So, uh, yeah. and our fans also and that's a rights issue as well, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we won't go into that because we already had the conversation <laughs> with F One. Um, <laughs> so you have moved into obviously broadcast uh, yourself uh, for the last couple of years. You've been commentating um, for F Two and F Three, and you've also been on the F One TV um package as well uh so, so what what got you into that first was it kind of just emulating your dad again or was it just something completely kind of no to you? no i started um back in 2013 um when will buxton when i finished in in gp3 mm-hmm. and will buxton asked me to join him in the com box in silverstone um so then i i, I did a couple uh, and met a gentleman called dean Locke who used to run um, well, still does, but at a higher level, um, the Formula One broadcasting. Um, so then, uh, what would it be two and a half years ago now? I I fell out of it because I had a, a works test opportunity with Bentley, which clashed with the Grand Prix. They asked me to do at the last minute. Um, and I went and I went for the test, uh, which, kind of confirmed my at that stage of my career kind of confirmed my unavailability for that you know and showed that basically i would go racing at the last minute if i had to do something so um but then i I waited a couple of years had my year out did some other racing did some endurance commentary for a great group of guys called radio le mans who are sort of the 
the voices of endurance racing. So did sort of the Nürburgring 24 hours, some world endurance championship races with them mm. and that kind of thing. And then uh, I was doing a, a Q and a with a guy with Mike Conway um, of Toyota at the RAC club. And yeah. on the seating plan, I sat again, right next to Dean Locke. Um, which basically then restart. He said, well, we, we actually, funnily enough, we're looking for a tech side commentator. Do you want to come back and do some more? Um, and so, yeah, that's how I restarted again um, alongside Alex Jakes. Our first gig was Goodwood, um, mm-hmm. funnily enough, um, on for a, for a completely you know different broadcast it's all aurora stuff but yeah um first gig was goodwood and that's how that's how i met alex jakes and then a halfway through the com box session i realized he was sort of casing me out <laughs> <laughs> and uh and then but and then uh restarted again with a couple of races at the end of goodness me uh pre-covid so it would have been 2019 Mm-hmm. Um, did 2020 and 2021 when whenever I'm there outside my wet commitments and and I continue now um, for with 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 that kind of trajectory really so it massively fell into place. Was it easy to fall into? Were you were you instantly good at commentating? Were you instantly good at kind of addressing you know you know TV crews and cameras and, and microphones and all that sort of jazz? I don't know if I'm good at it now. Yeah, uh, you absolutely are. You absolutely so, are. I, I, I don't know. I think um, that – I think you do a lot of it as a driver. You do a r- remarkable amount of it as a driver, and especially me from a young age, um, you know, uh, always being thrust into a sort of, you know – um, relative values for the times kind of piece or, you know – being in the early days there was media interest in me yeah and so i had to learn i had to learn from a young age and of course around our our house at home uh there are you know there were always camera crews coming in dad would stand in our garden or our living room or in front of a neutral background in the way that you know so well that <laughs> you do when you're making those little bits you know could uh-huh. be anywhere couldn't it yeah um, but it'd be at home and i would you know walk by hush in the background what see soak up everything that he was doing you know and so i have an example there to follow uh mm-hmm. which is kind of it's natural soak through i think rather than actually i mean i do specifically ask him questions all the time of course i do about this that and the other and there are some you know real gems of information in there but yeah th- those things are uh, were always available to me and perhaps if I am good uh, and there are always people with mixed uh, opinions about <laughs> these things um, then then those could be the reasons why yeah well, I think it's a great team actually uh, Alex Jakes is, is fantastic at what he does his, his, his you know knowledge and his memory and he's and the fact that he can pinpoint a driver after you know, like massive kind of bunching together and restarts and all this sort of thing. And he, and he can actually call out these drivers uh, like that. I, I've got total respect for, for, for lead commentators uh, and obviously commentators like yourself. Uh, Unbelievable. Unbelievable. It takes me the full season to get to where Alex Jakes is in ter- <laughs> for, for the first race in terms of his information recall, his, his, uh, identification of the cars mm-hmm. uh and 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 his uh and his 
understanding and he's doing that remember for f2 f3 uh w series f1 for four as it was last year mm-hmm. and so um yeah i mean quite quite exceptional but the, the work is that he makes it look very sort of easy and like it just happens but the work is there in the background and, and he's incredibly determined and incredibly hard-working individual to get himself to that to that position yeah uh Unfortunately, commentary, um, uh, we'll talk about David Croft because he, he does get a bit of stick online. Um, and I don't know why, really, because I, I really like his, his commentary. I think he's, he's, he's very 99% of the time quite accurate with what, with what he's saying. Um, it's the, it's the, the fumbles and stuff that, you know, Murray Walker, even, even the great Murray Walker was, you know, it, it was part of his thing. Uh, and people just laughed and enjoyed his. But Crofty seems to get a bit more flack uh, online. Uh, but obviously, online is 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 here now and it wasn't there in, in murray's days um what, what you got a relationship with croft and obviously you, you will you'll know him quite well yeah I, I i do i do know him i don't know him super well i i have tremendous respect for what crofty does i mean mm. a tremendous respect for for all of them uh, but mm. especially his job um calling things moment by moment you know and and especially when it, I think what people underestimate that job is the bravery uh, about that job is the bravery it takes because you have, uh, you know, really a, a mass of people hanging on every word, um, absorbing every word in some of the most extreme moments of sporting controversy that mm-hmm. there are each year. Um, you then have to make a declaration, a statement, which you will say once and will last for two seconds and can then be replayed, recapped, edited, messed about, reposted Mm. for an infinite time period, but you get to say it once. Yeah. And that is, A, takes skill uh, to to do so with sensitivity and to do so with uh, with accuracy and knowledge, which you owe, which is your job, which you owe uh, to the audience, and and B uh, it takes bravery because in the end you've got to say what you think, and and you you're really putting yourself out there, you know, and yeah. I think that's a big big deal. I think it's a really big deal. Absolutely, uh, but one day you know it, it, they might retire uh, and Alex Jakes and yourself might might even take their roles would you like to commentate on F1 do you think you'd like to be a co-commentator there I think that I I would do the job if the audience really wanted me to um and but but only if but only if and and the reason for that is that I think that you know in terms of uh F1 co-commentary there has to be an extremely good reason why the person in F1 co-commentary is not an ex-F1 driver. Um, If if there is, then I don't think it's a problem, but I'm quite clearly not an ex-F1 driver. Um, And I think that if there is an ex-F1 driver who is is the audience want to hear from, then that person should play that role. Um, But if, if an audience asked me to do that, on the basis of comfort with me having built up a, uh, a a rapport with them and over a long career of them, you know, uh, uh, of them liking what I'm doing in, in other commentary roles, then, um, then I would love to do that. 
Um, it's just a case of I'm not prepared to fall into that just because I was there at the time or just because, you know, I'm the other bloke that talks or just because <laughs> or, or, or perish the thought just because I'm I'm my father's son. I'm not interested in that whatsoever. And I don't think the audience are either. We've actually got a comment on uh, on our live feed that you sound so much like your father. And I I, I have to agree as well, because when when I tuned into uh, F2 when when you first started, I was like, oh, it's, it's, it's Martin Brundle. Uh, is, he, is he doing the, the lower formulas now? And, and I was like, it's so similar. There obviously are the similarities that a familial uh, link will obviously take with it, I guess. Yeah, I, I think also when you broadcast, um, Alex Jakes will tell me that I don't sound that much like him in person. But as soon as you broadcast, because of the nature of, uh, the equipment that actually has to transmit those sounds and package them up and move them around. Mm-hmm. It takes away that final little bit of intonation from the voice. So if you sound a bit the same, uh-huh. actually over the broadcast, you sound exactly the same. But <laughs> I mean, uh, whether people consider that to be a compliment or, or not, I don't know. Um, I, I consider it a compliment because I, I like, I like the way dad sounds. Um, one thing that, I definitely don't do is try to sound like him. I've, I've never, I've, <laughs> it's, it's a pure misfortune. I've, I've never. Fortune. I, I'm going to say yeah, fortune. Gonna it, fortune. Yeah, I, it, I, it's I comforting. Never, it's comforting because you do hear your dad's voice, for example, every race weekend for a Formula One fan. So maybe if they're not so into the F2 or the F3 uh, and they want to hear that kind of similarity, they've, they've got that with you. and kind yeah, of I mean, equally, got... he started to get the credit for my work. Though. That's the problem <laughs> because, because I, I do a I do a series on uh, I do a series on an F1's YouTube channel. Um, good lap, great lap, uh, right. which compares you know various laps. If you're interested, you can go and check it out. We did basically a track guide, but with a good lap and a better lap above each other. Amazing technical people put together this kind of uh, uh, overlay of, of data, and uh, all the comments underneath are like, "Martin's nailed this one." <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, great. Thanks, guys. But, um, <laughs> and, and of course, you know, of course, actually, that's me in the comments just just sounds abysmal. So you can't say that. No. So. Uh, so, yeah, I just. Yeah. Whatever, man. Well, <laughs> swings and roundabouts, you know, swings and, things, swings and roundabouts. So uh, what, what are you up to else? Uh, you, you've got your own projects going on on YouTube now um, that you want to discuss. You've got um, you're building a Mustang. Is that- yeah. Building um, a 289 Mustang. Wow. Um, for yeah, just because I love it, you know, just because I love it, and um, I, I got, I was embarrassed this winter, you know, because I, I, I sat there and thought, Alex, you've never, you know, as as most, you know, every single driver in the F1 paddock is the same, yeah, but I never turned a screw on a car that I've raced. Right. Okay. Which is rubbish, man. When you you know when you watch Le Mans '66 and Ken Miles is there with his headphones on, you know tweaking the carbs on his and his uh on his um gt40 uh, v8 you know runs uh-huh. a v8 uh, and you're thinking call yourself a racer come on now <laughs> come on now you should have a go i mean so uh, there, there are a group of guys uh, to be absolutely clear like i, I the, the skill required to do that is quite extraordinary mm-hmm. and um i have a a, a great group of guys who asked me to race for them a while back in, in historic racing called Pearson's engineering who are uh, helping me to throw the car together, but I wanted to get my hands dirty at least 
you know, and maybe kind of show people a little bit about what goes into putting one of those kind of built, not bought cars together. Mm-hmm. Um, so that and and a load of content for my own YouTube channel, which launched earlier on this week, Brundle Behind the Wheel, um, which will be with Formula 2 teams, which will be with uh, old cars, new cars, Formula 1 cars, just everything racing, you know. Um, somebody who um, who I, I trust in the sort of media sphere uh, said to me over the winter, mate, just you should just film everything you do and, <laughs> you know, put it out there and people, people might watch it, they might not watch it, but, you know, at least it's kind of out there and it's, it's nice to have it just collected in one place. So why not just throw it up on youtube absolutely there's there's so much desire now because there's so you know there's so many fans of motorsport and um, that people just consume content constantly so i have no doubt that it'll be a successful a successful youtube channel because everyone wants that sort of stuff all the time we've got a load of archive footage of kind of old old f1 laps and and from when we we did them on together me and dad and some old uh, and run, running through some old cars and that kind of thing. I've got some great filming days coming up. So, yeah, it, it's it's really exciting thing to do. And like I say, you know, I just kind of want to, I just want to share it all, but I, I, without compromising, you know, I don't want to be clickbaity and rubbish about it, you know, no, without no, compromising what is my passion and just put my passion out there. And if people want to watch that, then that's awesome. I am absolutely positive they will, uh, definitely. Uh, I'll certainly be tuning in. Um, we've got just a couple of kind of random questions now that we've kind of put together as a, as a group and uh, there's uh, people in the chat as well that if you don't mind just yeah, sure. obviously answering them before we, before you go. Um, one from one of my, uh, one of my crew, uh, Jamie Cooper, has said, um, what one piece of advice has your dad given you uh, that you see as invaluable the the one piece so over all the, the the pieces of advice that he's probably given you over your life what what kind of do you hold closest to your heart so from a broadcasting context the one that jumps to mind is is quite an interesting one and it's one that i've actually shared to drivers who've struggled um other drivers younger drivers because i'm so old now that young drivers call me um, <laughs> <laughs> stop it stop it if you're out there stop it um the, 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 the um, old hand uh, yeah, yeah. He, he told me he taught me to personify the camera which sounds really weird right. um but essentially it means imagine the camera is a person and then you stop talking to a thing and you start talking to an individual um which I when I doesn't feel any different when you do it, but when you watch it back, it it looks a lot different in terms of the warmth of your delivery. Right, um, and that's that's a media thing. I mean, uh, the rest of the time you just basically tell me to go fast and don't crash and don't come <laughs> home unless you win. <laughs> so so it's, that's 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 pretty much the the whole of that. But um, yeah, from the, that one, that one's one that springs to mind, and it helped me so much when I started to do kind of face to camera stuff. Okay. Um... By all means, anyone, if you've got any questions, now is the time to ask them in the comments. Uh, I'll try and get through a couple uh, while we are here. Uh, another question from Coops as it was, sorry, um, which uh, or who, which driver uh, do you think is the next up and coming star of F1 uh, that you might have been commenting on over the last couple of years? I think obviously Piastri must be there somewhere, um, but I don't want yeah, to lead I, down the path. You, I you let know, me know, I do think, I do think Piastri, I do think Piastri is there. 
Um, and he, and he's the obvious he's the obvious standout. Uh, the, the, well, he's got a bit of a problem though now, hasn't he? Because there's not really a seat on the F1 escalator uh available for him i'm going to be really interested to see how halga gets on this year um mm. with his move up i mean obviously the prima cars are kind of dominant so you you look at the drivers in those cars as those who are going to have the the opportunity i would say mm-hmm. um so i think those two moving through um i must admit it was a shame not to see calamilo get a run in a, in a Formula One car. I think what he did over his seasons in F2 uh, was was impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, he obviously heads off to IndyCar with Junkos this year. Um, but yeah, those two, I think Hauga in the longer term and Piastri in the shorter term and, and much much is going to sit on those, those moments when Piastri does get the opportunity to drive a Formula One car this year, which I'm sure I'm sure he will, um, especially if he gets the opportunity in, in sort of an FP1 or multiple FP1s. Um, and much will rest on that, I believe, for, for him. And what are your thoughts on Guan Yu Zhou? Obviously, he's, he's going to be his debut season this year. Do you think over Piastri, was he the right choice? Or do you think the money was the, the leading factor in, in obviously him getting his seat? I mean, essentially, the choice they made is, is always the right choice because they've made it. Um, okay. you know, whatever the factors were. And you can sit here getting angry about the structure of the sport, but it's not going to change within the next year, let alone the next couple of months. They needed Guan Yu Zhou in the car um, mm. for, for, for whatever the reasons were. I I don't think Guan Yu Zhou is undeserving of a Formula One seat at all. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I think Piastri was potentially more deserving of that seat. But, I mean, Formula One cars don't run very well with no tyres and no fuel. <laughs> <laughs> very you know? true. And so what, what are you, you going to do? You can put Piastri, you know, you can put Piastri in the car without any freight to take it to the first race, without any development to make it fast and without any tyres to run it on. But what would be the point in that? So exactly. even Oscar, who I believe is and was incredibly magnanimous, it must be said, uh, about that process, is realistically realistic enough to know that if when he gets an F1C, it needs to be in a team that are entirely settled financially with him in that F1C. Otherwise, what's the point in going racing? You know? yeah. uh, and so I think the way it's played out might not satisfy necessarily the fan base um, who wish that Formula One were different. Well, we all wish that Formula One cars cost £5.50 to run. And, you know, (laughs) it was, you know, and we could play it like football. We all wish that. But that's not the reality in the short term. And so uh, I think it was the best solution for Piastri as it plays out. And he still has opportunity. That kind of links to Danny's question in the comments, actually, um, I guess. Uh, Do you think F1 is too inaccessible due to funding? Is, Is there anything that they could do to fix that? I think that um, motorsport in racing cars in general are too complicated um, in the modern in the modern era. Um, there are a couple of things which made F1 uh, less, sorry, F1 more accessible in the past. The cars were simpler, um, so um, basically the um, the cars were simpler. So the, the the teams didn't have to expend so much money. 
mm-hmm. there were less races, so it was less expensive. Um, it was more dangerous, so there were less people that wanted to do it. Yeah, which changes the com the same changes the you know if you look at a, a group of of young people and you say to them, uh, well, do you want to go and race a Formula One car in twenty twenty one? Yeah, there's still that danger there. Don't get me wrong, but the chances are that they're not going to get hurt doing it. If you said yeah. that to them in 1980, there was still a pretty big chance that they'd get a limp at the end of it, you know? Uh-huh. Um, so there's that. Um, I mean, the obvious answer is yes. The the less obvious answer is, what do you want to do about that while still keeping manufacturer interest who want the cars, of course, to be complicated so they can demonstrate their technologies yeah. uh, to, to the world via Formula One. That's the point of Formula One for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and they fund the sport. So, yes, the only way to prevent that being the case would be actually to remove all of the manufacturers from the top level of the sport, which I think would be a little bit Turkey's voted for Christmas yeah. uh, at this stage. Mm-hmm. Okay, a um, couple more questions. Uh, we've got J.R. Whitten, who is uh, one of our friends from Stateside, uh, one of our followers. He's asked, because um, he is Stateside, uh, what are your thoughts on the up-and-coming Miami GP this year? Are you... Uh, all for it are you looking for looking forward to it excited uh yeah i mean it's it's always cool to have a new venue from from a i mean obviously from a there are two real points up there from a racing from racing business perspective with drive to survive and everything that that's done uh for for formula one in the states it's good to have that grand prix to capitalize on that and it's obviously a massive marketplace for everybody involved in the sport which means that it's uh it's great to have another presence there, especially, you know, further away from kind of Austin or, you know, to, because the United States is, is such a, a massive and varied community of people. It's, it's yeah. really, I always view it as sort of many countries in one. So it's good to have, you know, something in the country of Florida, if you like, <laughs> especially, especially a place with such great motorsport tradition as well um, with, you know, with Daytona, with Sebring, with everything else going on there. Yeah. Um, so perfect. Cool. Great from a business perspective, from a, uh, from a sporting perspective, it's awesome to see just a new venue and see mm-hmm. how they're going to get their heads around it uh, and see uh, what's going to go on there. Um, and and I, I, I don't see why not. I think it's great. Hopefully it won't cause any logistical issues or other issues like that, but they seem to be well on top of it. And there's a lot of hype around it and hype is good for the sport. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and they're, they're thinking of even putting a, a third race, obviously with the um, Las Vegas uh, Grand Prix as well, aren't they? Uh, so uh, JR is probably going to be quite excited. Um, they want to balance the country up. They've got to have one on the. They've got to have one on the west coast now. That's it. Well, it's not quite west coast. It's always west coast, isn't it? They've got a, their center of gravity was a little out. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so, so, certainly for us, uh, for stateside supporters of Formula One, who have had a lack of it, obviously, um, through kind of the the, the noughties and the uh, and the early teens, uh, they're, they're certainly going to have their their kind of. Yeah, cake and eat it, I guess, is the is the phrase because uh, they're going to get plenty of uh, races uh, in the upcoming season. Um, any other questions? Uh, another one from Danny. Uh, what what are your opinions on Formula E uh, and the future or lack thereof? Is it exciting, progressive enough to stick around uh, for the future? I think that it's it's an interesting one. It'll depend. Formula E for me works because of the regulatory changes which are happening in in road car development. That's why it works. If 
would that series exist if we weren't all going to be forced to have electric cars in the near future? I'm not sure it would. Right. But we are, so it does. Um, and it's looked through from the telescope of this is what motorsport has to do to be relevant. It's an excellent series placed up against directly other forms of motorsport mm -hmm. for, you know, a direct measure of excitement. Maybe not so much. So it, it's, it's a statement, isn't it? It's a statement from motorsport. The problem that they, you know, there'll be a crunch moment for Formula E, I believe, which is when those, you know, what appear to be sort of at least European wide, if not worldwide road going regulations come in does Formula E take off then? Or do those regulations fall apart in terms of the way people live their general lives, at which point Formula E then becomes a bit irrelevant? Irrelevant, yeah. I see what you're saying. Absolutely. Uh, it's 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 a it's a funny one, isn't it? Because we've had a few manufacturers obviously drop out as well um, of it. So do they see the relevance in it? As it's... It's the same problem as we talked about earlier on about the accessibility of motorsport, though, because mm -hmm. uh, my understanding of the reason those manufacturers dropped away from Formula E is because Formula E were not actually allowing them to develop fast enough and not allowing them to spend money, mm. you know? And so <laughs> uh, uh, it's simple, you know, with, with cost cap regulations and, 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 and so forth. So the, the, the problem that you have, it's just a, a direct, it can show you what would happen in Formula One and it shows you why you have to be incredibly strategic and intelligent about reducing the cost of things because, there are manufacturers who are funding great swathes of it mm. who want those costs to exist. Well, want the development that pertains to those costs to exist. Have you got any predictions, big predictions from the season for Formula One, for Formula Two, for Formula Three this year? I mean, Formula Two and Formula Three, honestly, no, especially with Formula Three. I, I would never, I mean, returning drivers, obviously, uh, returning drivers obviously are you know I can't see wait to see what someone like Paul Cher can do um, but the the yeah it'll it'll be it'll be normal Formula 2 and Formula 3 madness uh, in Formula 1 I'm very interested in a couple of teams uh, I'm very interested in McLaren yeah. I'm interested in the re-signature of Lando Norris and the stability that gives McLaren over the next uh, few years. And I want to know, because Lando's a smart cookie, and I want to know what he's seen in that new McLaren design that he thinks, I can work with that over the long term. And I'll give them the four years. Wow. Exactly. That's a, that's exactly. a long commitment, really, in Formula 1. Exactly. Although, you know, they've been a massive part of his, his, his growth. Um, I'm interested in Ferrari because I know that they had the difficulties associated with the engine uh, and have had to basically uh, organise the car and fight back based around not having the power. Now, they're allowed a regulatory update, total update with the power unit into this season. So is that going to put Ferrari back on top? Hmm. Um, I'm interested in how Mercedes react to the new... Um, to the new regulations because they are obviously due to the regs that surround wind tunnel testing and wind tunnel time will, will have uh, one of the least or the least available aerodynamic runs mm -hmm. while simultaneously having to make a massive spend as, as did Red Bull in terms of resource and money and time and effort 
on trying to win the championship last year. So I think we're going to see a bit of a changing of the guard would be okay. my only prediction. Well, it, it, it's an unknown, isn't it, really? No one wants to commit to, to any kind of answer at the moment because, because we need to at least see testing first to see, yeah. see how, how they sandbag or how they uh, run off into the distance. The other thing is someone's going to get it wrong. Like big time, like big time wrong, because that's a that is a big change to a racing car. There Absolutely. haven't been such wide arching changes for a very long time. No, and it, it's much needed, and let, let's hope it does mix up. Uh, you know, at least you know bring some more uh, of the mid tier te- teams into the fray, uh, fighting for the championship too. Oh, I've got sorry, I've got quite a few questions about DTS. So we've got to, we'll have to talk about Drive to Survive. Do you think it's a positive for the sport? It obviously has been a positive for introducing new newbies but do you think it's as a whole a positive to the sport i think it is i think it is a positive um clearly more viewership so sport is entertainment and that's what we do you know we we entertain with sponsors on the cars it's our business so anything that brings more viewership is is good i think that what is needed really is a transitional product and what i mean by that is to take those viewers from drive to survive and to bring them into our sport in such a way that they are interested in the sport for what it is rather you know so 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 it's an entry point it's an entry point to the sport then we need then it's really our job you know the the sort of pundits and the and the the broadcasters to go a bit more digital i think and and then to go and grab that audience and say hey we heard you like formula one let us show you how the engine works in four minutes, you know, rather than sitting there, you know, talking about the 1944 French Grand Prix, you know, and how fabulous it was or, you know, whatever. And, 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 you know, all of those things can be done, but they all need to be presented in a way which approaches a, a new audience. And I think, that that really is the focus in in the broadcasting of our sport. Now, taking that audience who are quite clearly interested in Formula One and then uh, turning them into fans who uh, really understand our our sport and their Mm -hmm. sport and their sport as it needs to become. Yeah, we we won't go too much into the end of the the, the season last year, um, but it could maybe have had an impact on the decisions made um, in the last race. Uh, and I think that's what maybe people are uh, alluding to in the comments, but I know we don't necessarily want to address that. <laughs> I mean, really, I, I really, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, is is how, what is going through the, the, the race director's mind when, when he makes those specific calls, but um, you know, all officials stand on their, stand by their decisions whatever their influences are it's not really the concern of the audience and the competitors to 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 reverse engineer those (laughs) yeah very very well well handled well handled um okay well it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you um i I think we have exhausted everyone's questions it's but it's been really interesting to to speak and and kind of hear your take on everything Uh, as i say we we would love to have you on for maybe a race review uh within the season or something like that if if it's something you'd be interested in coming out sure maybe yeah sure maybe maybe later on in the year um i can uh, uh we can get in touch no problems brilliant well do you want to plug your socials just before you go 
Yep. Find me on uh, Alex Brundle Racing on Facebook and on Instagram. Uh, Brundle Behind the Wheel on YouTube and at Alex Brundle on Twitter if you want to find me. Which you don't have to find me. You know, you can you can find me if you want. Yeah, no, no absolutely. Pressure. No pressure. You no pressure. should. You should definitely. <laughs> uh, we are uh, and we are Everything F1. Uh, you're here on our Facebook page. So we thank you very much for being a fan. You can obviously find us also on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, and our website, www.everythingf1.com. Also, we will transform this into uh, an audio podcast if you did miss any of it, and you'll find that on any of the podcast and streaming services. If you could hit the bell uh, and subscribe to our podcast, we would really appreciate it. You'll get all of our latest podcasts in your earlobes as soon as they drop. So all that's left for me to say is thank you very much, Alex, for coming to, to chat to me today. No worries. Thanks for having me on. Uh, Pleasure. And thank you very much to all of our listeners and viewers uh, that managed to tune in today. We really appreciate it. And we'll speak to you and see you again soon. All right. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye.